What's up, Granada? Um, my name is Isaiah Drake. I have been voluntold to do the scripture reading for this morning. Um, all to say, so I guess I just have to get right into it. So the, uh, the scripture comes from Ephesians uh, 6, 1 through 4. Oh, that's a cute baby. <laughs> so, so, the, the, so the scripture says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. That one's for you. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Hope you guys have a good morning. These kids. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. You see what I put up with? I tell you. Number one, don't ever get Heidi mad, all right? That's your first lesson for the morning. Second one is uh, we need to get to the next verse. I don't like that verse four. It's too convicting. Uh, my son looked better without the mullet, don't you think? I mean, is it just me? <laughs> well, my name is Pastor Drake. It's great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our Gospel and Life series. Today we're going to be looking at the Gospel and Parenting. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, because you're thinking about starting a family, or you're in the middle of the hot mess of what it means to raise a family, and you're like, I'm glad I'm here. Pulling out your pad, pulling out your phone, you're going to take notes, and you're going to do so scrupulously. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't have kids. I'm not even married. I'm just a teenager for that matter. <laughs> or I don't want kids. They're just a nuisance. There's too many of them anyways. Or I've already raised my kids, and they're out of the home, and they're not around. So what does this sermon have to do with me? In short, here's why I'm excited that we're all here to look at what the gospel has to say about parenting because all of us came from a family, all of us are in a family, and the gospel paints a better picture of what the family should be and maybe could be. So I hope you're ready. We're going to dive into an amazing journey today. Now, if you're like me, and I know I am, when I go home, glad you caught that, just seeing if you're awake now. Glad that you showed up 11 o'clock too, all right? Glad you showed up at 11. I looked out here and nobody was here, so I'm glad you made it. All right. When I got home this week, I opened the door and I stepped into my house. And it's pretty much what I've been stepping into for 15 years since we had Isaiah. Uh, there's life, there's energy, and a little bit of chaos. There's always that laundry pile over there in the corner that's ever-growing. It's amazing how it just never stops and ceases. And then there's the pantry that does the opposite. It's miraculously empty so quickly. And then there's the floor that my feet are sticking to, and I'm wondering, what in the world is here and fell on this floor? Or I start to smell that smell, and I'm like, I forgot to throw that diaper out yesterday. I did. I need to handle that. Then I'm looking at the schedule with my wife, and I'm thinking, how in the world are we going to fit all of this stuff in, right? Like, we got too much going on. And then to get further discouraged, I look at the bank account, and I'm like, how are we going to afford all of these things that we're supposed to be doing? And then I start thinking about the, the parents that their kids are doing so great, you know, and I'm looking at mine thinking, oh, man, am I going to be great? Where should I put them in school? How can I put them in the best athletic program? Next thing you know, I'm just caught up in all of the craziness of what it means to have a family, and I feel lost, overwhelmed, 
in some cases underappreciated. And I'm just thinking to myself, how am I going to get through the next day? Well, if that's where you're at, I want you to know that you're not alone. And what we're going to do today is we're going to regain our focus on the one thing, the one thing that parents are called to do and to be. Let me show you with archery. You see, in the Bible, in Psalm chapter 127, verse 4, that's 127, verse 4, it says this amazing thing. It says children are like arrows in a quiver in one's youth. And I couldn't help but wonder if that illustration of being an arrow was a reminder to a parent that one day we are going to send our kids out into the world. And our one job and our one focus is to aim our children's heart towards God. Mainly that they would come to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him willingly. All the craziness, all the good things, they should be helping us get to that one trajectory and aim. But so often I forget and I get lost. I got a lot of regrets as a father. It was a few years ago that uh, I was working two jobs and my son, who was eight at the time, came to me and he said, Dad, why do you go to work when all the other dads stay home on the weekends. I got down on a knee and I looked him in the eye and I said, little buddy, and I basically told him what he's likely going to need counseling for one day. (laughs) God's just called your dad to do this. Now it's more than he can bear, for any man to bear for that matter. And since he has a Messiah complex and thinks he must save the world, he's going to go out there and do it. And he looks forward to seeing you when you're grown up and out of the house one day when he's retired. Good luck, kid. Essentially what I told him. I was a fool. You know, it wasn't a year later that God took that business away from me. I lost every dime I invested into it. Four years of my life I poured into it. And now it was gone. I wish I could go back and get that money back for sure. I wish I could go back and get that time back. But I can't. And you can't either. We can't move forward in life by looking in the rearview mirror. Regrets in life are just going to hinder us from moving forward, from being in the present, from recognizing the truth and the goodness of God in our lives, that His sacrificial atonement on the cross paid for our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. He's known everything that we have done, what we haven't done, what we should do, and what we haven't done. I think I already said that. (laughs) He knows it all. And yet he died for us when we needed it the most and deserved it the least. And some of you can't parent right now because you're thinking about what your parents did. And some of you can't parent right now because you're like, I'm done. I give up. I've tried everything. And some of you are having a struggle as a parent right now because of all your inadequacies and you're thinking, Who am I 
to show this kid what to do. You already heard, Heidi's a good example of our family. I do serve a purpose. It's to show our kids what not to do. All right, we all have a purpose. Wherever you are, the gospel is what you need in parenting. Because the gospel reminds us that God has something better. That God cleanses us from our past and he puts us on a new trajectory. And he not only shows us a different direction, but he gives us the power and strength to live and walk in accordance to that direction. And that's where we find our text. Our text is this beautiful letter to the church of Ephesus, flushing out the gospel in this context, familial relationships, starting at the end of chapter 5 with husband and wife, and now carrying on the theme of really Ephesians 5.21, where it says we must submit to one another as Christ served us, so we must serve one another. And he's carrying that theme now from the fruit of marriage to children and parenting. And at the highest level, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, is really addressed towards children. And it's just saying, children, obey your parents. And then in verses 3 and 4, it's really saying, parents, honor me by instructing your kids. So at the highest level and the most simplistic level, that is our text today. But somehow I almost ran out of time in the early service, and we've got so much ground to cover in this second service that I just want to dive right in with you. So if you have Bibles, and I hope you do, you can pull it out. If not, we're going to put the verses on the screen. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 6, where we see the term children. Right there from the get-go, we see our intended audience in verse 1. It's children. Now you say, what is a child? I've got some friends, and they have 30-year-old children living in the basement who are really good at video games, just waiting for their big break. In the context of Scripture, it's a little bit different, all right? In the context of Scripture, what we have is a a lot of latitude in terms of what this term child means. There's a context in which a child was weaned from his mom, usually about age three in Scripture. Then at age five, the child was usually kind of discipled by his dad and taught how to handle his affairs and contribute to the family. Later on in the Scripture, we see this concept of an age and accountability. Some people think between 12 and 14, thus you get confirmation and uh, bar mitzvahs and kind of the Jewish and the Christian heritage. We see that a little bit in Isaiah 7 in the context of the young people entering the promised land. And then we even see the term children going as far as when Joseph and Solomon were called children, and yet they were in their late teen years. So there's a lot of latitude to what the term child means in Scripture. What is clear here is that children are to be sent out like an arrow into the world, taught to love God and serve Him willingly. So that is the context that we get when we think about children. Now, it goes on from there, and it's interesting because in the Lord, in the Greek, actually modifies the verb obey, and it connects the two. They're completely inseparable. Obey in the Lord. You see, you're in my authority as parents does not become or not does not come in and through our own authority. It's kind of like in the military. No soldier has to follow any order that is unlawful, unethical, or immoral from a commanding officer. You see, that officer only has authority as long as he is representing the authority in which he is given. 
It's like the Bob Dylan song. You know, you're all, we're all going to serve somebody. We're all going to serve somebody. It could be the devil. It could be the Lord. But we're all going to serve somebody. We're all subservient to someone or something. And parents are called to be subservient to the Lord. And children are called to be subservient to their parents. And it's in the context of in the Lord that parents must raise their children. And children must obey. Now, there's nothing natural about obeying. None of us naturally want to obey. We all want to rebel. Think about you. When your parents told you, again, if you're like me, when your parents told you what not to do, you were like, hmm, challenge accepted. Or they said you weren't supposed to touch this, and you were like, oh, this right here? There's something in our hearts. We don't even know why. But we're bent towards sin. Not obedience, but disobedience. So there's a challenge in all of our hearts towards this. It's not our natural bent. And again, this is why we need the gospel. Because it doesn't matter what rule you say, what example you set, only the Lord can change your child's heart and your heart and my heart for that matter. And that is, again, why we need the gospel in parenting. Now, in the context of in the Lord is fascinating because so often I find myself uh, wanting my children to obey my commands, right? Uh, I grew up in a very orderly house. Sorry for the cameraman here. I know you're getting a lot of work today. Hang in there. Uh, I grew up in a home where my mom's watching. That's why I thought about the camera there. I wanted to make sure she could see this. My mom was orderly, all right? And she kept everything focused and, and clean. And that's the kind of context I grew up in. And then I was such a great child, I got shipped off to boarding military high school where those cleanliness patterns and orderliness patterns and discipline patterns were continued to be instilled. And then today I serve as a military officer where all of these uh, infatuations have just been perpetuated with discipline and order and cleanliness. So sometimes, sometimes I might, I might, I'll admit, get my ways confused with God's ways. For example, when my kids get up in the morning, I expect them to make their bed. Very simple. I want them to make their bed first thing so they start their day with a sense of accomplishment. Anyways, I'm trying to justify myself. I'll stop. All right, so I want them to make their bed so for a lot of different reasons. And there are times where you would think if they didn't make their bed, they have just violated the 11th commandment. All right? Like, I bring all of hell's force with me because they didn't make their bed. You would think they're going to end up on the street one day using drugs because they didn't make their bed. And I try and justify, you know, like, well, cleanliness and godliness, it's in Leviticus, all right? It's, it's there. Look, uh, I try and justify my ways with the Lord's ways. And you got to be careful with that as a parent. Because ultimately our authority comes from the Lord. And listen, th th this is so important for me. I need to listen. It's not my name I'm trying to defend or honor. It's not my rules I'm trying to defend or honor. It is God's name and his way that I'm called to defend and honor. And that is where my authority comes from as a parent, and that is what children are called to obey. Now, the next term that we come across here, focusing on these children, is that they must honor their mother and their father. Now, if you come from Asian culture, you understand honor. It's a huge part of your culture. You, you honor the family. If you come from a military background, a family of military, you understand honor because soldiers die on the field for honor. But in this context, what does the word honor mean? It really means obey. And so the same way that children are called to honor their parents, we are called ultimately to honor our Heavenly Father. Jesus said it a different, said, a different way. He said, if you love me, 
you will obey my commands. So what love looks like, what honor looks like clearly in Scripture is obedience. Again, it's, a, it's completely foreign to our natural propensities and desires. We want to be God. We want to determine right and wrong. We want to determine which way we're going to go, when we're going to go, and how we're going to go. And God says, I want to show you a better way. It's not natural. It's not going to be easy, but it's better. And if you'll trust me and follow me, I'll not only show you the way, but I'll work in and through you. And this is what this context of honor is kind of paving for us. Now, Paul is pulling from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments in particular, Exodus chapter 20, I believe, verse 12 to 14. And there he's showing the first commandment that is dealing with our relationship with others. You see, and Worth did a beautiful job in the 9 a.m. service explaining to them that the Ten Commandments, the rules of God that he has set for us, begins with a relationship with God. And rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. So once God establishes the relationship, says, I love you, you are my child, now here is what I have for you. It is a better way. And it starts by getting this right, your relationship with me. And then after you get the first four commandments, you get the latter six, and it helps you deal with your relationship with others. This particular commandment pertaining to children Honoring their parents is the only command with a promise. And it is a promise that they would live a good life, a long life in the land. Now, it would stand to reason that because the gospel is going forth throughout all the world at this point, that we are not talking about the geographic location of Israel. We are talking about something so much greater. We are talking about their eternal home. Jesus says, I go and I prepare a place for you. That you might come and be with me. You see, we weren't created just for this life. We were created for eternity. And when we begin our parenting journey, and we try in the midst of all the craziness to regain our focus and recalibrate diapers, sticky floors, crazy piles, schools, uh, education, what do I do? All are sending your child in the right direction, but there is only one focus. You're just wondering, where is he going to come out here? I'm not. Uh, this is the focus right here is to aim our child's heart towards God. That they may come to love the Lord Jesus Christ and serve Him all of their days. That is our one aim. And that is what we are striving to as we seek to raise our children in the Lord and honor them, and ultimately them to honor us. It is because we have eternity set in the mind that Although we know it's good they go to a good school, we know it's good they get good grades, we know it's good they marry the right person, we know it's good that they get a good job, and we try and give them every opportunity in the world, ultimately the most important thing is that we show them that they are not our child. Ultimately, their Heavenly Father loves them more than we ever will, and they are a child of God. And they were created for eternity. And when you tease that out and, and put that seed in their heart, it will grow so much greater and grander than anything you could imagine. And that is our role as parents. Now, if you have a seatbelt in your pew, go ahead and put it on. Because we are turning our attention now to fathers. Now, I looked this up, and there is no such thing as a motherhood epidemic. There is, however, a major problem with fatherlessness. Now, the scripture already told us, honor your father and your mother, all right? It is showing that both mother and father 
male and female, have equal value in the eyes of God and both play an incredibly important role in the development of children. But Paul is honing in on a major issue here. And it has really stood the test of time. Why it's, it began in the Garden of Eden when Adam, who should have defended his wife and should have taken a stand against Satan, stood back passively. And all hell broke loose, literally. And the same trend has continued today. Let me show you some interesting things that happen when, when fathers abandon their responsibility as fathers. Look at this slide. You're going to see here, when fathers are not present, there is a greater likelihood of risky behavior, of unwanted pregnancy, incarceration rates, dropping out of school, drug use, homelessness. Any major issue our society faces can likely be traced down to a fatherhood issue. Furthermore, look at this. I'm going to show you a slide here that reveals some statistics. Now, there's a lot of studies that have been done, and the results vary. But in general, this represents what all the studies across the board in different countries have found. If a child is a first-generation believer and places his faith in Christ, there's a small percentage, like about a 10% at most percent chance that the rest of the family will place their faith in Christ. If the mother is a first-generation believer and comes to place her faith in Christ, it'll go anywhere from, you know, 20, 30, up to 50% of the household will place their faith in Christ. In all of the studies, with that exception, when the father became a first-generation believer, two-thirds, three-fourths, 75 to 95% of the house would place their faith in Christ. Men, we cannot outsource our responsibility. We cannot abdicate our roles as the leaders of our homes and the spiritual leaders of our families. Now, I don't know why God chose us. My wife is far more godly, good, smart than me. Maybe it's because God uses the weak things of the world, and his light shines the brightest in the darkness. And nobody, and nobody but gives, is going to get the glory but God when he sees amazing things happening through broken men like me. Furthermore, if God can speak through a dumb donkey, I know he can speak through me too. So take encouragement, men. God can use you. Now, what I want to show you very quickly is the difference between a boss and a leader in the marketplace context but I want us to understand that men are called to be, catch this, servant leaders. You can never separate those terms in terms of biblical leadership. A man is called to be a servant leader. Now, a boss, they're going to say, go, do this, I want that. That's not the kind of leadership we're called to have in the home or anywhere for that matter. We as men of God are called to be servant leaders. To lead by example from the front, even in the midst of our brokenness, and say, let's go. We are going to pursue this together. You see the difference between a leader and a boss? This is what God is calling us to as servant leaders. I want to show you a brief clip from one of my favorite movies called Courageous. 
you're catching the tail end of the movie where a man has been struggling with his responsibility as a father and all the tension that that plays out in his life and in the lives of other men around him. And here is where the climax of the movie, it's a 10-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, it's just too late, I'm going to ruin it for you. But at the very end of this movie right now, they're coming together and they're recognizing this is what God has called us to as men. Now is our time. We must stand. As you watch this, I hope it encourages you to wrestle with the responsibility God has given you as the spiritual leader of your household, fathers. So take a look at the screen. I now believe that God desires for every father to courageously step up and do whatever it takes to be involved in the lives of his children. But more than just being there, providing for them, he's to walk with them through their young lives and be a visual representation of the character of God, their father in heaven. The father should love his children and seek to win their hearts. He should protect them, discipline them, and teach them about God. He should model how to walk with integrity and treat others with respect. He should call out his children to become responsible men and women who live their lives for what matters in eternity. Some men will hear this and mock it or ignore it. But I tell you that as a father, you are accountable to God for the position of influence He has given you. You can't fall asleep at the wheel, only to wake up one day and realize that your job or your hobbies have no eternal value, but the souls of your children do. Some men will hear this and agree with it, but have no resolve to live it out. Instead, they will live for themselves and waste the opportunity to leave a godly legacy for the next generation. But there are some men who, regardless of the mistakes we've made in the past, regardless of what our fathers did not do for us, will give the strength of our arms and the rest of our days to loving God with all that we are and to teach our children to do the same. And whenever possible, to love and mentor others who have no father in their lives, but who desperately need help and direction. And we are inviting any man whose heart is willing and courageous to join us in this resolution. In my home, the decision has already been made. You don't have to ask who will guide my family, because by God's grace, I will. You don't have to ask who will teach my son to follow Christ, because I will. Who will accept the responsibility of providing and protecting my family? I will. Who will ask God to break the chain of destructive patterns in my family's history? I will. Who will pray for and bless my children to boldly pursue whatever God calls them to do? I am their father. I will. I accept this responsibility and it is my privilege to embrace it. I want the favor of God and his blessing on my home. Any good man does. So where are you men of courage? Where are you fathers who fear the Lord? It's time to rise up and answer the call that God has given to you. And to say, I will. I will. I will. I will. 
The scripture says we are to act like men. We are to be strong. We are to take our stand. And that all we do, to do it in love. You know, for a lot of men, we didn't have father figures that we can look to, but we have a heavenly father we can look to. And he has something better for us, and he can use us in spite of ourselves if we'll keep our eyes on him and trust him. You know, the scripture says, for fathers especially, do not provoke your children. Because what happens when you provoke your child and you exasperate them, you might as well break this arrow and then try and put it back in here to send it out broken. It's not going to work. And that's the warning that Paul's given us. As fathers, you've got to be careful with your responsibility. You have a huge voice in your life. Use it well. Use it responsibly. Use it to send them out on a trajectory to recognize that they are under authority and they are called to love me and to serve me and I'm going to use them in spite of themselves just like I'm using you. But be careful not to abuse that. Paul ends our passage here with an admonition in the negative and in the positive. In the, in the negative, he's saying, don't exasperate these children, all right? Fathers, don't exasperate them. In the positive, he's saying, bring them up in the, fear, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. In other words, teach them discipline and teach them instruction. Now, th this is so important because... Uh, discipline and instruction is really what God is going to use in your child's life to keep them on the path and to draw him near to his own heart and to use them mightily for his glory and their good. And so I'll tell you what this looks like in, in my house is simply this. Uh, if I could just say what discipline is, discipline is saying no to a lot of things so you can say yes to the right things. It's saying no a thousand times so you can say yes the one time that it really matters. And so what's helped us is a family shield. We do this at the Granada Family Retreats, and I'll have a website link that I'll put up there. If, if you've never done this, it's a great exercise. But what this family shield does, it's got a lot of pictures on it, which I like. A few words, a lot of pictures. And it reminds us as a family what we feel called to. You see, every year we pull this out, or a year or so, and we sit down as a family and wrestle with, our, what do we stand for? Who are we going? What are our values? What are our purposes? And then throughout the year, we use this to just realign and refocus. And it keeps us moving in the direction that we feel God has called us to. And so this one practical piece, the family shield, has been an incredible resource for us in terms of what I think the Scripture is calling us to in staying focused and disciplined. Secondly, instruction. How many of you have ever tried to lead a family devotion? How many, how many men in here have ever tried to lead a family devotion? All right. Sir, your ships come in right there. So today, I'm going to give you the greatest resource ever, and I'm going to encourage every one of you to get this. This is the very best, hands-on, kind of dangerous family devotion. You're going to blow things up, you're going to electrocute pickles, and you're going to teach your kids some awesome spiritual principles along the way. This is a great resource. No matter what it is, so come see me afterwards because it's yours. Also, this website link that I put up here has both the Family Shield and the book available to you. So you can, you can go there and it will direct you in the right path for these resources to help you really wrestle with what it looks like to bring discipline and instruction in your home. Here, here's the point. For our family, Sunday night works. That's when we like to do our family devotion. 
and I gather the kids around, and they all pull their Bibles out and sit down real quietly, and they're just leaning on the edge of their seats to hear what Dad has to say. Has never happened, all right? Never happened. It's chaotic. Peace is ready for bed. The dog's got to go outside and pee. My kids apparently all have ADHD and are all over the place, you know. But in the midst of all that, God's at work. And listen, parent, you, you haven't been called to be successful. You're just called to be faithful. And God hasn't called us to do anything that he's not going to be with us and work through us in doing. And so, yes, it's going to be crazy and confusion. You're not going to feel up to it. You're going to want to quit. But I'm telling you, if you'll just keep your eyes on the Lord and try and honor him, he will honor you. And your legacy will honor him. So as we close today, I just want to turn our attention to what the gospel is. Because we've talked about the gospel and parenting a lot today. The gospel is simply this, is that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. But because of sin, which is either active rebellion or passive indifference, we are not experiencing God's love and plan for our life. And that is precisely why Jesus Christ came to die, because he loved us so much, he stood in our place. And every time you see foolishness in your child's heart, don't forget there's foolishness in your heart. Every time you want better for your child, don't forget your heavenly father wants better for you. Every time you wander off and he's on a search and a rescue mission for you, that is probably why you are doing that for your children, because there's an integral relationship between our heavenly father's love for us and our love for our children. You see, ultimately, just like marriage, the gospel, the glory of God, the goodness of Christ, the forgiveness that he offers is what we need the most when we deserve it the least. But each one of, each one of us must choose whether to accept or reject that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, I look back on my own childhood and I think about the rebellion that was in my heart. And I think about the pain that I caused my parents for all the foolish things that I did. When you look at your children, whether they're three and you're counting to three and they're not stopping till three and now they're getting to five and that, you know, you're just seeing that your discipline's not working and they're testing the boundaries. Or your sweet little teenage daughter who hasn't rejected the faith and isn't rebelling actively, but you can see she's spending far more time on social media and her heart is drifting and she's beginning to dress ways that making you uncomfortable because she's trying to fit in and you wonder, where's the relevance of her faith in her life? Or your older son who's always been real quiet, he calls you one day because he's finally found a friend. I want to let you know he's fallen in love with that friend. And, and, and you don't know what to do because uh, you know God has something better for him. In all these circumstances, whether it was in my own heart or in the children that we are loving and raising, the issue is sin. The issue is sin. And only the gospel can confront that. Because as terrible as things are outside in the world, as evil as it might seem out there in the world, the greater danger to your child is the evil that's inside here. And it's called sin. And it's the same sin that lurks in our heart. 
a famous Oxford professor during World War II received a letter from somebody that said, what is wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton responded with two words, I am. You see, if you look long enough, the same evil that's out in the world is also in our hearts. And that's why we need the gospel. Again, when we need it the most and deserve it the least, that is when Christ died for us. And that is when he's asking you parents to die to yourself and serve your kids. When I was rebelling and when I got shipped off to a boarding military high school, it was the kindness and the patience and the love of my parents that helped lead me to repentance. It wasn't the rules. It wasn't the regulations. It wasn't the law showing how inadequate and how bad I was. Those were convicting. But what I needed is the kindness of God in my life. And he reflected that through my parents. And parents, that is what you can be in your child's life. And that is why the gospel is so essential for parenting. There's a man named Joshua in the Old Testament. And he was unlike many others. In fact, he was sent with 12 spies. He was one of 12 spies that were sent into the promised land to claim what God had given to his people. Ten of those 12 spies came back and they said, we're outnumbered. The odds are stacked against us. It's just overwhelming. And some of us as parents feel that way. There's too much peer pressure. My marriage is crumbling. I'm a single parent. My child is already gone astray. I'm never going to get him back. And what we've done is like the spies, the other spies, we've taken our eyes off the Lord and we've looked at our own strength rather than what the Lord can do. And we've lost our way. And he's given us time, just like he gave Israel time in the wilderness, to think, to learn, to trust and obey him. And finally, after the lesson was over and many years had gone by, Joshua led his people, what he should have done 40 years earlier, into the promised land. Because he and Caleb knew what the Lord could do. It doesn't matter how inadequate you and I are as a parent. It doesn't matter how far our children have strayed from the Lord, but God. And when we look to the Lord, we will find the strength and the courage that we need to carry on, to count the cost, and persevere in Jesus' name. So I want you to stand up right here with me. It is time for each one of us to count the cost, to take our stand. And I want you to repeat back to me these words that Joshua left his children and his people before he went on to be with the Lord. And he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All right, let's hear that. So you guys read it with me. As for me and my house, I want you to repeat this back to me a few times. But I'm a single parent. How can I possibly give my child what I need? But I came from a broken home. And to be honest, I've already broken my home. It's too late for me. But there's just too much peer pressure. You don't understand what the kids are going through today. What is my voice in my child's life in the midst of all of this? I'm overwhelmed and my I'm just so burdened and anxious. I don't know what to do. I believe you. I believe you. You see, the Lord is good. 
and he is faithful and he can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He can save us and sustain us. And if we will trust him with our homes and our children and with our roles as mothers and fathers, then he will bless us. His favor will be on our house and he will use us for good in a world to shine bright as a light for Christ. Do you want that for your home? I want it for mine. Let's give the Lord a, a round of applause for his faithfulness from generation to generation. The Lord has been good to us and we should thank him. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your people that are standing here that are saying, as for me and my house, we will serve you. Lord, you've given us children, many of us, and they are like arrows to be sent out into the world. God, our one aim, our one aim is to aim our children's heart towards you, that they might come to love you and serve you willingly all of their days. We trust you with that, Lord. We need you to work in and through them. And God, we pray as parents that you would give us the strength we need to endure and to honor you and to enjoy the blessing and the goodness that these children are in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you.